Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Everybody doing well? All right. You still full from Thanksgiving? How many plates? Come on, be honest. One, two, three, four. The five and six platers, we're going to have a prayer service for you afterwards today. Man, what's well, so good to be with you this morning. Yesterday, you know, at the five o'clock service, I said, I said my opening statement was happy summer because it was like 100 degrees yesterday. And then today it's like cold. I don't know which it's going to be today. So I have to go outside, like stick my hand out of the front door, you know. Is it hot? Is it cold? And come back and figure out what to wear. Do I need a jacket or do I need my tank top, you know. I don't know which one it is, but uh, I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Samuel, and I have the honor and the privilege of working here at Oak Hills Church, uh, specifically working with high school students and college and young adults. So please pray for me. Uh, I'm extremely, I'm extremely passionate. I'm passionate and uh, uh, about seeing young people in the next generation, in the next generation, just come uh, to know their identity in Christ. Like I, I, I love, I love seeing young people get it. Like I love seeing young people uh, um, see Jesus and embrace him in the life that he's prepared for them. And I'm thankful, you know, just in a season and in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for a church. I'm thankful for this church uh, that invests, that pours their energy and hearts into seeing the next generation of young people rise up and, and know who they are in Christ. So church, can we give God a hand for that? Can we thank God? One of the ways that I get to do this is, is, is by teaching them scripture, teaching them the Bible. And, and I love doing that. I love helping them understand who Jesus is. I, I love helping them understand how to apply biblical truth to their everyday life. You know, a lot of people, they're like, Sam, you're, you're, you're a Bible guy, you know, or you're, you're the church guy, you know, like, Sam, you're the Bible guy, or you're the church guy. And I totally embrace uh, those titles, but uh, I'm a Bible guy and I'm a church guy um, because I'm a Jesus. Jesus guy. And, and I care and I love Jesus deeply. And I'm thankful for what I get to do here at Oak Hills. As Keith mentioned, we are kicking off a new series entitled Behold. Uh, but for those of you who were here for the Alive in Us series, can we just give God a hand for that series, for those sermons and those messages downloaded through Max and through Travis? That was a, that was a powerful sermon series. And so I hope and pray that your relationship with the Holy Spirit has begun has grown and has strengthened through that. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're like, this is my first time. I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. Can we give our guests a hand? Those of you guys who are here for the first time at Oak Hills, we hope and pray that you'll call Oak Hills Church home. Well, I'm going to go into Luke's gospel, Luke chapter two. So if you brought your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. If you don't have them, that's okay. We'll have it up on the screen. And here's what Dr. Luke writes. He says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, everybody say behold, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Church, can you say amen? 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, these moments. God, thank you for this time, Lord, Uh, a dedicated uh, space to worship you, a dedicated space to, um, God, grow closer to you. God, I thank you for each and every person in this room. Pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would speak to them this morning. God, and we, we love you. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said... Amen. I want to start by asking you a question. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question and and I want you to answer this question honestly. Okay, we're in church. I want you to answer it honestly by a show of hands, by a show of hands. How many of you already have a paid subscription to Disney Plus? Hands all over, hands all, see, I knew it. You see, my home, we did too, but you know what? I, I wasn't even asked, hey, you know, dad, can, can we subscribe to Disney Plus? Like, like nobody at Julie didn't ask. They just went and did it all on their own. They just went and got their own subscription to Disney Plus. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ever heard of Disney Plus, the new app? Take a break from the gospels, guys. Hop on your... Hop on your Apple TV. It's a new app. I'm I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by this. It's crazy to see also everything that Disney owns now, right? Like they own so much stuff. Specifically, they own all of the Marvel movies. Anybody ever heard of the Marvel movies out there? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Some of y'all just need to take a break. Go catch yourself a Marvel movie, okay? Everyone loves the Marvel movies, right? Everybody. But the Marvel Universe films are a are a series of superhero films based on comics. Check this out. It's the highest grossing film series of all time. Highest grossing film series of all time. Currently, there are 23 movies produced by three different companies ranging over a span of 13 years and counting. There's more to come. And if you've seen Endgame, spoiler alert, if you've seen Endgame, the culmination of this series has been the conquer and defeat of who? Thanos. Man, that's the loudest I've heard you on church before. (laughs) Thanos. We love these films, right? We love these films. Why? Because each individual story is actually part of a greater story. I love seeing the connection with, with Captain America and with Iron Man, right? Like, and all of them coming together, telling a greater story. But you know, all Marvel is doing, all Marvel is doing is taking some notes and cues from this thing right here, the Bible. For those of you who don't know, the Bible is a collection of 66 books, some 40 authors ranging over a span of 1,500 years. 66 books, 40 different authors. 1500 years. Each book is uniquely written, different literary genres, audiences, and purposes. However, each writing that makes up the canon of scripture all help us see the greater story. It's the story of God, the story of God. And throughout the biblical narrative, you see the foreshadow, you see the prophecy and telling of the coming Messiah, the coming King, one who would deliver and save his people from the enemy, Thanos, if you will. So this text that we read just a moment ago is the culmination of that. It's the main point of it all. And Luke writes and records the moment in time when Christ the Messiah would enter 
the world. And he says this, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Side note, whenever any of you were born, did angels appear to some ranch owners out in the hill country and appear to some, to some guys and some, some, some ranch owners and be like, hey, Sam's being born. Behold, little Timmy's being born, right? Did anybody do that for you? No, nobody did that for you. Nobody did that for me, but for Jesus, oh, they did. They did. Jesus is a pretty big deal. The birth of Jesus is a pretty big deal, which is why the angel emphasizes his coming with the word, behold, behold. This word behold speaks of uh, this idea of look at this, look at this. Like it, it speaks to this idea of clear focus on something. Another, another uh, uh, definition is pay attention, pay attention to this. And lastly, it speaks to this idea of awe, being in awe of something and, and wonder, awe and wonder. Because you see, prior to this moment, there was a time where God seemed absent or silent. The majority of biblical scholars call it the 400 years of silence. This was a time where the Jews turned what was 10 commandments into some 600 commandments. Legalism was the belief. It was rules over relationship. The temple or place of God was corrupt. Rome's kingdom reigned, turning Jews against their own people. And truly, in truth, it got to the point that if you were a person of God, you weren't anything like God. Like if you, if you were a person of God, a person following God, you weren't really anything like God. Why? Because there was no accurate view of what a person of God should really look like. There was no accurate view of a person of God. Let me put it to you this way. Let me give it to you this way. If I wanted to teach you how to play football, Okay, if I wanted to teach you how to play football, I wouldn't ask Jason Garrett to show you how to play football. Is that too soon? Too soon? We gotta get him out, guys. We gotta get him out. I'm done. I'm done. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm done with that guy. Now, Jimmy Johnson or Tom Landry, right? Glory days. Yeah, we'll ask them. We'll ask those guys, but not, but not JG. Hey, for the Jews, it was the same thing. You know, guys like Abraham and Moses and the prophets, all of them were imperfect, but they all had their follow me moments, right? Like, like those guys had some, some solid moments where the Jews could be like, hey, I'm following Moses or I'm following Abraham or I'm gonna follow that prophet. But man, those were the glory days and those days were long gone. There was no one to look at. There was no one to watch. No clear definition of what a man or woman of God should look like. Their definition of godly, their definition of church was a religious system built on corrupt commerce and personal gain. 
Why had God's people become like this? Why had they become like this? Here's what I believe. I believe they became like that because you become what you behold. You become what you behold. You can write that down in your handout. It's a fill in the blank. Do you guys know what was happening in May and June of 1996? You see, I can't use uh, uh, stories like this with my students because none of them were born in 96. They have no idea what was going on in the 90s, man. The 90s was the decade. But do you know what was happening in May and June of 96? The whole world was watching Michael Jordan win his sixth NBA championship, his sixth title, his sixth ring. Everybody, the sports world and even the non-sports world, they were all watching Mike. Michael had changed the game of basketball. Young kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, grown adults, grandparents, man, all of them were captivated and everyone was in awe of Michael. They watched him, they studied him, they emulated him. They even tried to get their hands on Michael's secret stuff. Shout out to Space Jam. Why? Because everyone wanted to be like Mike. Everyone wanted to play and be like Mike. And here's the truth. We are all beholding something. We are all individually captivated and in awe of something. To put it in question form, what has your all? What are you captivated by? What are you beholding? What are you holding so near and dear to your life? For young kids, you know, it may be the Xbox. Maybe hours on Xbox. Who am I kidding? For some, for some of those guys in their early 20s, it still might be Xbox. It could be Sports Center. We just watch Sports Center over and over and over again. We memorize all the reruns. You know, it could be our jobs. It could be the desire and the pursuit for the corner office or for the top level or for the highest status. And we pour all of our effort and all of our energy into our job trying to make a dollar. It could be the devices in our pockets. It could be our iPhones. It could be social media. It could be just constantly spending time on the internet. It could be education. It could be our desire and our pursuit for a 4.0. Like we just gotta have that. That's what life is all about. It could be sports. It could be wanting to be the best, trying to be the best. And we have to do that. That's what life is all about about and that's what we may be beholding but look 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 I'm all for straight A's right like I get it I'm all for straight A's I'm all for high level competition right I'm all for scholarships man I'm all for those things but if all we are trying to do as Christ followers is make and raise good citizens and athletes and then I think we've failed. I think we've failed. I don't just want to raise good citizens, man. I want to raise kingdom citizens. Amen. Like I, I want my babies. I want our young people, man, to be deeply in love with Jesus. 
Man, I, I want them to follow God. Like I want them, I want them to know and embrace their identity in Christ first and foremost. But in order to do that, Christ has to be at the center. He must be at the center of everything we do, especially parents. If you're in the room and you're raising kids, man, they need to see Christ at the center of dad. Man, they need to see Christ at the center of mom. The only way to become kingdom citizens is to behold the king of the kingdom. Man, we've got to behold Jesus We've got to pay attention to Jesus. We've got to, we've got to clearly focus on Jesus. We must all be centered on him because morals, good deeds, our bloodline, where we come from, education is not enough. Those things aren't enough to solve the sin problem we have in our lives. And Paul puts it this way. He says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the beauty of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter two, is what the angel of the Lord says next. He says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Behold, pay attention, look at this. The Savior is here and his job is to save humanity from their sin. Have you, do you see this, friends? Angels pointed people to Jesus. There were stars that guided people to Jesus. Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the point of it all. Jesus is the culmination of all 66 books. He's the center of the whole thing. Amen. He's the hero who would come. The good news is not something. The good news is someone. And could it be that this was him? Could it be that this was the Messiah? Could it be that this was the deliverer, that this was the Christ? And it is. How do we know how do we know? And I get that question so much. Sam, how do you know that Jesus is it? Man, how do you know that he's the answer? How do you know that he's the solution? How do you know? How do you know, Sam? John's gospel. John was one of the disciples and best friends of Jesus. And John would be the last living eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And John uses a familiar word to start off this bold statement. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, John writes this. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming and said, say it church, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know that so many of the people in, in that day, so many of the religious leaders, so many of the Pharisees, they all thought John the Baptist could be the Messiah, the Jewish people. They were asking John the Baptist. They were saying, hey, are you the prophet? Hey, are you the Messiah? They were looking for someone to follow. They were looking for him. 
There was no one. And John, John points to Christ and he says, there he is. Behold, pay attention, focus on Jesus. He is here. Two Johns, one who came before to prepare the way and one who was the last living eyewitness of Jesus who would pin the gospel of John and who would say, this is him. This is the Lamb of God. In order to understand this title for Jesus, the Lamb of God, we have to think way back to the Old Testament. You know the story of Moses and, and Pharaoh and, and uh, the empire that was known as Egypt at the time. Has anybody ever seen the, the Prince of Egypt? You ever seen the movie? It, just to catch you up, go watch the movie. It'll be a quick, it'll be a quick history lesson for you. Um, but there were 10 plagues. Everybody remember the 10 plagues. And what was the last one? The final plague was that every firstborn son would be what? Would be killed. But God gives Moses instructions. God tells Moses, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to take a, a spotless lamb. I want you to take a lamb without blemish. And I want you to sacrifice that lamb. And then I want you to take the blood of that lamb. And I want you to wipe it on the doorpost. And that would be a sign. That would be a sign that your faith is in the one true God. And I will pass by and spare the firstborn Son. Now, do you feel the weight of John 1.29 in that statement? Do you see the significance? Do you feel the seriousness of what was happening? We call that Passover, and Passover is still celebrated to this day. It was celebrated, but you know what? In that moment, in that time, that was a pretty heavy moment. Like there was a king who woke up that morning and walked into the other room and saw the life of his lifeless son. There was his firstborn son had been killed. His firstborn son had been slain. You feel the weight of John 1 29. The wages of sin is death. Paul says, so behold, look, pay attention, the Lamb of God, this is him, Jesus, the Savior, the substitute and sacrifice without blemish, the spotless Lamb is here to save humanity from their sin. And sin is serious. Sin is far more complex than our outward behavior. Far more complex. And the cost of sin is death. But the good news is, and what the angel declared to those shepherd boys that day, was that the Savior was here. And the beauty of grace is life. The beauty of grace is life, new life, Christ's life united with ours. I want to read you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a famous scholar, and I love the way he puts this. He says, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. 
The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Wow. Wow, the beauty, the power, and the significance of God's grace, which leads me to our next fill in the blank. Jesus takes the punishment we deserve and gives us the grace we could never earn. Amen, church? Jesus takes the punishment we deserve and gives us the grace we could never earn. Behold the Lamb of God who what? who takes away the sin of the world. Not he took away the sin of the world, not he will take the sin away the sin of the world, or not he, he might take away the sin of the world. No, he takes away the sin of the world. That's a present tense word right there. John is telling everyone that he not only stepped down into earth and lived a sinless life, he followed through all the way and died a sinner's death, defeating the enemy once and for all, once and for all. So behold, so pay attention, so focus on the the burial, focus on the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For then John can write this, for from his fullness, John 1, 16, for from his fullness, we have all received what? Grace upon grace upon grace. Church, do you know what you get when you get God? Not wealth, not health, not prosperity. You know what you get when you get God? You get grace upon grace upon grace. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's good news, which is why the angel can declare, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is joy to the world. John is encouraging the churches he's writing to, which were scattered all over the known world at that time. Keep preaching the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is still saving people. He is still taking away the sins of the world. He was doing it long before. He's still doing it here today. Come on, church. Is there anybody in here who has said, yeah, Jesus has taken away my sin, my personal sin. I have exchanged my righteousness for the righteousness of Christ. I have beheld the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. It is no longer about me. It is about him and what he's done for me. Amen. Amen. Man, do you know what I want for Christmas? No, do you know what I need for Christmas? I need the grace of Jesus. 
man, I need his grace. I need it every day because I recognize my sin. I recognize my shortcomings and I recognize my weaknesses. And I know that I can't do it on my own. I know that I need the help of the Holy Spirit who brings life into my soul, life into my body to help me stay focused, to help me to pay attention to Christ. Keep focused on Jesus. In conclusion, I want to read a passage to you from the Apostle Paul. It's in Romans chapter 5 in verse 20. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates it, so I'm going to read it in his translation. It says this, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. We'll read that again didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. And Jesus is, Jesus is passionate about forgiving people of their sins. Man, Jesus loves to forgive people of their sins. He loves to pour out his grace on others. He loves to pour out his grace on humanity. He goes on to say, when it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. I love that. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Come on. How many of you know that whatever Mike did in 96 pales in comparison to the victory that Jesus did 2000 years ago on the cross at Calvary? Come on, church. We can put our hands together and give God praise for what Jesus did. Grace won, hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on. World without end. Church, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm fully convinced and I'm fully persuaded that you are here this morning, not just because you thought it was a good idea to get up and go to church. And I'm convinced that you're in this room this morning because the Holy Spirit is drawing you closer to Christ. The Holy Spirit is, is, is prompting you. The Holy Spirit is nudging you. The Holy Spirit is speaking you and drawing you closer to the person and to the God who is Jesus. So my question to you today is what are you beholding? What are you beholding? What are you captivated and in awe of? What has your heart this morning? What has you captivated in this season? I don't know what it is. Man, I don't know if it's a, if it's a doctor's note. I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's finances. I don't, I don't know if it's relationship issues. I don't know if it's family drama. I don't know if it's personal and identity crisis that you're going through. I don't know if it's shame. I don't know if it's guilt. I have no idea what you're in awe of or what you are beholding this morning, but Jesus does. God knows and he's here today because he, he's wanting you. He so desires for you to behold him, for you to pay attention to him, for you to clearly focus on him.